0: Hey it's Sunday, August 30th, and for the teaching text today, I'm going to read three different passages from the book of Proverbs. Uh, the first is Proverbs 12:8, which says, "A person is praised according to their prudence, and one with a warped mind is despised." This next one comes from Proverbs 15:5: "A fool spurns a parent's discipline, but whoever heeds correction shows prudence." And the last one is Proverbs 16, 22. Prudence is a fountain of life to the prudent, but folly brings punishment to fools. There's a fable that was written by the late Edwin Friedman about the fly and the moth. And as the story goes, there's a fly that's keeping himself very busy at a windowpane. He's zooming up and down and back and forth, coming this way and that way, trying to find a way out into the wider world, buzzing around so he can find an outlet. And a moth comes upon the fly and observes the fly's uh, frenetic and wearying work. And the moth inquires uh, about this and and learns that the fly has been at this for hours. He's been trying and working really hard for a long time to find his way out, but never moves away from this window and never alters his approach. Uh, The fly is wearing himself out, flying this way and that at full speed, and he's tried everything, and come at this from every angle, or so he reports to the moth. The moth asks whether he's ever considered looking for a way out someplace else, and the fly responds, there's no time, I'm giving it all I've got here. And the moth, just in just disappointment and frustration, shakes his head at the fly's lack of foresight and perspective, seeing clearly just how futile his efforts are in correcting an insect of such low intellect. But suddenly, seeing something that attracts the moth's attention, uh, he turns his gaze, and the moth sees this warm, glowing light. And the moth detaches himself from the fly's frenzy and moves toward the light, where he is promptly electrocuted and falls flat to the ground. This is the word of the Lord. Not really. If, if you're the moth, uh, the fly seems insufferably foolish like head-shakingly clueless. Uh, But the moth is not without vice himself. The the moth struggles differently than the fly with his own unique temptation, which is the glowing light. And while he could readily see and condemn the folly of the fly, he was blind to his own pitfall and undoing. And in this fable actually suffers a fate worse than the one that he ridiculed uh, with the fly. What both the fly and the moth lack in this fable is prudence. And if you missed last week, I'm doing a short three-week series on the critical practices and postures that are required of us as followers of Jesus to really thrive in this chronically anxious season in our city, in our state, in our country, in our world, as uh, COVID-19 is continuing to be something that we have to deal with in the United States. We're dealing with, with presidential elections. Last week, we talked about the topic of friendship. And if you missed that, I hope that you'll go back and listen Today, we're talking about prudence. Now, if I were talking to you one-on-one and I asked you to define prudence, it's something that you might struggle with a bit. Prudence is not the most popular of words. Uh, Some people probably rush to thinking about being prude, which is being uncomfortable or uneasy around the topic of sexuality. Uh, Some people might think about prudence as being like a teetotaler, like avoiding alcohol, but it has a much richer meaning than either one of these limited definitions, which is why I want to draw our attention to prudence today. Here's what prudence means. Prudence is the ability uh, to discipline and manage oneself. Prudence is the exercise of good judgment. It's giving careful reflection uh, to one's choices and behavior. It's the act of giving wise forethought to what will be required of a person in a given situation and a decision ahead of time about how they're going to behave. Now, the moth, though initially appearing to be the voice of reason in the fable, uh, demonstrates his own lack of prudence by giving all of his attention to trying to discipline and manage the fly's behavior, leaving little energy left over to deal with his own self-destructive tendencies— That people say the hardest habit in the world to change is somebody else's. The moth was trying to change uh, somebody else's habits and fell prey to his own. There's another proverb in the book of Proverbs that says, Whoever strays from the path of prudence comes to rest in the company of the dead. Very encouraging. Prudence means... I am taking responsibility for myself, I'm giving careful thought to my own life choices, and I'm doing everything I can to acquire wisdom so I can do all of that to the best of my ability. Prudence reflects the posture of a learner, a student, and prudence requires the posture of of being a learner, being coachable, being willing to be corrected. Henry Cloud, in his book Necessary Endings, tells the story of a time when the chair of the board of this Fortune 500 company asked him to go out to lunch with the CEO. And these three together are going to correct some of the failures and misgivings of of the CEO. And over lunch, as Henry Cloud is sitting there watching on, the the chair of the board just excoriates the CEO, telling about this way and that, that he's blowing it in his role of shepherding and and guiding this company. And Cloud is getting increasingly uncomfortable with the conversation, anticipating the response that is to come from the CEO. He knows that he's just going to blow up. Uh, But something else very different happened. Henry Cloud wrote, What happened next literally caused my eyes to water. The CEO looked up, nodded slowly, and said, you've given me a great list of the things that I need to learn how to do to be a great CEO. Those are definitely my opportunities to grow. I would like to get better in those areas. Can you guys help me? Henry Cloud went on to say, there is hope for people who are receptive to feedback and who take ownership of where they need to grow. Such people demonstrate prudence. The CEO was not perfect, but he did demonstrate prudence, a desire to be wise, to think through his actions. He was coachable. I believe that a hallmark characteristic of followers of Jesus should be the practice of prudence, taking active responsibility for ourselves, seeking wisdom, graciously receiving correction, and thinking through in advance what will be required of us in a given situation. And while prudence should be a hallmark of those who follow Jesus, it often is not. And it's also the case that there's an all-out assault against our efforts or desires to be prudent in the world right now. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, we will stand firm, we will stand resolved, and we will faithfully maintain our unique identity and calling as followers of Jesus, staying salty and shining brightly out there. Uh, In the next couple of minutes, I want to quickly give three practical ways this fall uh, we can resolve to practice prudence. And each of these are going to be around uh, formulated around we will statements. Three practical ways that we can resolve to practice prudence. Some of these require a little explanation, so just roll with me. First, as an exercise of practicing prudence, we will refuse to get sucked into false dichotomies by asking better questions. We will refuse to get sucked into false dichotomies by asking better questions. Now, this is really good, but, it, but its meaning is not self-evident. One of the signs that we are in a chronically anxious culture is when big problems are reduced to either or choices. That's a dichotomy. It's this or that. There's no gray area, nowhere in between. So a couple of examples, this one comes from the church world and believe it or not, this is something that people argue about in the church world. Okay. When it comes to discipleship efforts, are we going to do Sunday school classes or are we going to do small groups that represents an entire genre of literature within the church world? It's this or that it's a dichotomy. Or think about what happens in our country when there's a mass shooting of some kind. Immediately, we go into the dichotomy of, well, we need gun control legislation. Or other people say, no, we need a mental health response. It's this or that. It's either or. Uh, you can think about conversations in our country right now. you 're either for black lives or you 're for the police. You can 't be for both, so it seems in conversations. you 're either Republican or Democrat. you 're for OOU or you 're for OSU. you 're for Dr. Pepper or you 're a staunch Mr. Pip kind of person. That conversation represents exactly zero people. Nobody likes Mr. Pip. Uh, in each of these scenarios, uh, each represents a false and an unhelpful dichotomy, an either or. And but, but, but let's be reasonable. Can anybody imagine a solution to mass shootings that doesn't involve both a mental health response and, to some degree, gun control legislation? Uh, cannot, cannot a person affirm the message that Black Lives Matter while also appreciating the difficulty and the necessity of policing? Do any of us truly believe that one political party holds a monopoly on the best ideas for how to govern our country? Uh, Why do we stay in these dichotomous camps? Why do we live in either or? Well, in part, it's a sign of our anxiety as a culture. But there are, also, uh, there are also power brokers at work in all of this. There are people who are incentivized by money and the desire for influence who want to keep us locked into these either-or choices. People find that it is much easier to get elected if there's an enemy that they can convince you that we need to avoid. They can get elected more easily by stoking your worst fears about the other, the other party, the other person. Oh, everything is going to go to hell in a handbasket if they're elected. They are pitting truth against truth, value against value in order to shore up their own power. They are drawing battle lines and telling you to pick your screaming mob of choice. This is the path of folly. If the question is this or that, it assumes that we already have all of the options on the table, but there's a way out. We break out of these false dichotomies by asking better questions. The prudent refuse to be forced into an either or camp and the prudent ask questions that lead to wisdom that put the most options on the table. Instead of asking the question, church leader, or should we have Sunday school classes or should we have small groups, ask instead the question, what are the most effective ways that we can imagine to make faithful disciples of Jesus? That question suddenly opens you up to an expanse of ideas and opportunities so much more broad than either or Sunday school or small groups. Instead of Black Lives Matter or police, what can we identify together? to be the best ways to limit abuse, to promote flourishing, and to strive for racial harmony? Instead of gun control versus mental health, what are all of the best things that we could do, all of the methods we can imagine to curb mass shooting, something we all want to avoid? When you ask better questions, you suddenly have more options on the table. This fall, to grow as people of prudence, we will refuse to get sucked into false dichotomies. And I want you, now that you have the vocabulary to look out for this, I want you to watch for false dichotomies when they happen. They will accompany anxiety. Watch for it at home. Watch for it at work. Watch for it in political conversations. It's everywhere, and it's a weapon of anxiety and control. In striving to grow as people of prudence, refuse to take the bait and ask better questions. The second way we're going to strive to to practice prudence together as people this fall is we will seek understanding and we will avoid making caricatures of the opinions of others. Seek understanding and avoid making caricatures of the beliefs of others. One of my good friends told me an exercise he's trying to practice this fall is to charitably summarize uh, the perspectives of people with whom he disagrees politically. Uh, Rather than stripping the opinions of others of all nuance and worth, he's trying to honestly ask, okay, what is it they're actually trying to say? And to summarize it in the most accurate way that represents their perspectives and also the most charitable way, not in a way that decries that we think that this is a terrible human being. It's much easier to paint with a broad brush. Oh, Republicans hate this. Or Democrats just want to do this. As an exercise of prudence, avoid representing the opinions of others in the most flimsy and lazy of ways possible. Instead, seek to understand and represent their words with dignity. So disagree, but refuse to caricaturize. Turn them into this gross version of themselves, lacking nuance, uh, that, that reveals that you really don't respect them as a human being. I think as we do this, attempting to resist caricaturizing other people and representing them in a way that is charitable and as accurate as we can, I think two things are going to be really clear. One, I think we're going to realize that we actually have more areas of agreement with others than we might initially think. The other thing that I think we're going to find is that we are way less articulate about our beliefs than we realize. So we'll realize that many of us are just parroting the talking points of angry mobs, and we really haven't thought through this very well ourselves. This week, And this fall in your home, among your friends, in our church, as an exercise of prudence, seek genuine understanding and avoid making caricatures of other people. Don't listen to pundits who who unfairly represent other people and do your own research. Hold your tongue, open your ears, and for the love of all that is holy, don't post crazy on social media. As I've already said, prudence is the ability to discipline and manage one's self. It's the exercise of good judgment. It's careful reflection about one's choices and behavior. It's the act of giving wise forethought to what will be required of a person and how they will behave in a given situation. And so the third area where we will exercise this kind of behavior, where we will strive to embody prudence as a people, is we will be people of peace, people of peace. Stephen Covey in his book, Uh, the seven habits of highly effective people tells the story of being on a train in New York and a father with his kids come in. Many of you have heard the story. A father comes in with his kids and the kids are behaving really unruly. They're yelling at each other. They're throwing stuff. They're bumping into people and Covey is trying to hold his tongue, but he's like, dad, are you going to do something about this? Finally, his patience, you know, runs its course, and Covey says to this dad, "Aren't you going to do anything about your kids?" And the dad said, "Oh, I'm sorry. I-, I guess I should do something. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago." We never know what another person is walking through. The human race has been qu- through uh, quite an ordeal this year. Uh, COVID nineteen in our country, historic racial conversations. Many people have lost those that they love. Many people have struggled with isolation and loneliness. There's been meaningful disruptions in education and income and just our, our comfort level. There have been strains in relationships. There have been political stressors, plus all of the other normal stressors and vulnerabilities that we care as human beings, that we carry as human beings. Like the dad on the train, you have no idea just what the people around you are carrying. The person at the checkout line, the person behind you in traffic, your children, the people that you worship with, the people that are in your apprentice group, the, people, the other people that are on that Zoom call. You have no idea what other people are going through. So, this fall, as an exercise of prudence, resolve in advance that you are going to be a man or a woman of peace. That you're going to be someone who de escalates crises and tension rather than f- throwing fuel on the flame. That you're going to be a person who chooses mirth- mercy instead of wrath, patience instead of frustration. You're going to be a person with God's help who gives the benefit of the doubt rather than assuming the absolute worst motivations of others. Decide now that you're going to be a person who makes the room lighter rather than walking in and snuffing out everybody else's candle. In your prayer life and in your social life, in your driving and in your posting, in your work and in your waiting, choose now that you are going to be a person of peace In your Zoom calls and on your group me's and your emails and in your texting, decide now that with the help of the Holy Spirit, you are going to be a person through whom people experience God's shalom. To thrive as followers of Jesus this fall, and to thrive thrive as followers of Jesus in, in all of the seasons of life that are to come, we desperately need a renewed pursuit and practice of prudence. And in this way, too, we will live into our calling as a community, to be a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. And this pursuit of of, of prudence is, is effectively a pursuit of the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself was a practitioner of prudence. We see it all through his life, but we see it especially in the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus, fully cognizant of what he was about to go through, Uh, sought the wisdom of his father. He knew the relational and the psychological and the physical and emotional and spiritual torture he was about to endure. And so in the company of his father, he sought the consolation and the strength that he needed to endure the cross and to faithfully lay down his life as a new and a better sacrifice an atoning sacrifice for all of humanity. To serve as a new and better priest to make for God a new and better temple through his blood. To win for his father people, men and women, into his kingdom. That we might serve as uh, ambassadors of this kingdom. Inviting the world into a new and better way to live. A new and better way to think, to love. Shaped not by a crown and a scepter of domination, but by a cross of self-giving love. Jesus The embodiment of perfect prudence and human being uh, sought the wisdom that he needed, the strength that he needed, the empowerment that he needed in the presence of his Father so he could endure the cross, scorning its shame. And as a result of this, he now sits at the right hand of the Father advocating for us to follow in his footsteps. This fall, as we endure difficult anxiety, polarities, dichotomies, Our ambition is to be people of prudence, to be people uh, who, who cheer one another on in meaningful friendships and together pursue our calling to be mature followers of Jesus, demonstrating to the world what we can become as Jesus regenerates and renews us individually and in community. With God's help, may we be people of prudence. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you'd call to mind for each of us areas in our lives where we demonstrate a lack of prudence. Where we are not coachable or teachable. Where we exhibit hubris and pride. Where we think that we know everything that that there is to know. Would you help us to be especially focused on our own need for development and to be charitable and merciful toward the development opportunities of other people? Help us to be those who give careful forethought to our actions, who reflect on our engagement, who try to understand what is it like to be on the other side of us in the world? Help us like you, Jesus, to be men and women of prudence, men and women who ask better questions, men and women who embody peace, men and women who hold our tongues. Help us, Lord Jesus, as we navigate in election season, as we go through the coronavirus, as we as we navigate our, our networks of relationships to be people of prudence with God's help and to God's glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless your friends. We'll see you around.